Morning, Grace Community Church. Morning. Oh, it's great to praise God with you all. What a privilege, what an honor. As we are before the letters of Christ, the letters of Christ as I look at this morning. Who is adequate? Who is adequate for all the things of the gospel? Who is adequate? The word adequate uh, means to be competent means to be sufficient, means to be capable, means to be able. Who has the competency to take the very eternal significance of the fact of we're being human instruments delivering the most precious truth that's supposed to be preached to the saving of souls and also the Word of God damns souls too. Who is capable of being the vessel that bears the sweet aroma, the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Who is able, who carries that as a savor unto life, as the Scripture says, and a savor unto death? Who is adequate for these kind of things? Who has the capability to clearly speak of the very Gospel that we believe on behalf of Christ preaching that. That is, to people who will have eternal life or who will have eternal death. Who has the ability to to be a divine instrument who can function under the very watchful eye of our Lord and Almighty God? Who is competent? Who is competent for such a ministry of this Gospel that we have that is eternal life? It's a fragrance of eternal life to people and to others It is death to death. Who is competent to do that? Well, actually, we talked about that last week. In and of ourselves, no one. But we actually get the answer for the Christian. In chapter 2, verse uh, 6, 2 Corinthians. Now, we're not going to be touching on the 6th verse today. But we'll be getting there. It's all part of the context that we're in for the next few weeks. It says, sufficient for such a one as this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, otherwise such a, uh, a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So, sufficient are we. We've been given the sufficiency in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. You see that it says, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a door was opened for me and the Lord, that's where a lot of this all starts in our context from chapter 2, verse 12. When he started talking about, I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ. I was looking for Titus to get the news from him about the church in Corinth and how they were doing, bad or good. And he had an open door. You see what God had done? He was competent to do what he did. And you say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. Of course he was competent to do that. But every Christian is competent. Everyone has quite the ministry. So in chapter 3, verse 6, we read, Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We want to give life, don't we? And it says there in verse 6, He makes us adequate as servants. We're just servants, aren't we? We're, we're slaves. We're bond slaves. We're servants. We are to minister, to serve, to get that out. All of us are to be doing that. Now, the section that we're dealing with is explaining the very ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it's really also expands to anybody who ministers. That's a Christian. All minister your servants. Uh, He's concerned. He's concerned about the Corinthians, right? So if you're reading 2 Corinthians, when you start at that chapter 2, verse 12, take it all the way through chapter 7, verse 5, it's all one big lump sum that comes to a unity. 
it's a unified section. And the, uh, the apostle here is going to come back to his point in chapter 7, verse 5. Because this is going to take over time. It's going to be weeks and weeks as we go through this section. But it helps to know where we're at in this book and, and this letter, how important it is to, to, to get the context. It says in chapter 7, verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. There's the whole scene dealing with Macedonia. Troas and then Macedonia. And that's what he's talking about in our 2 Corinthians 2.12 to chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, this whole section, you have various aspects uh, of the ministry of the gospel. It's set forth. My, I can think of chapter 4, verse 4. In this great setting, verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, "...in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." Did you get that? Of course, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers. What is going on in the world? That's what's going on. Satan blinds their minds so they cannot see the wonderful light of the gospel of the glory of Christ unless they are regenerated, unless their hearts are opened up. And that happens by the use of us taking the Word of God to them. And then they respond by the very grace of God. So we have the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Did you catch that? The light of the gospel, that's the good news, of the glory of God. That's the most amazing item that we can possibly talk about. The very glory of God. Of Christ, who is the image of God. Of course, in 2 Corinthians 5, we get the great passage dealing with what happens when we die. What about this earthly tent that dies? What happens? And he talks about that. He talks about the judgment seat. And we read earlier, or uh, we sang earlier about reconciliation, dealing with Colossians, all things. Also, in 2 Corinthians 5, there's a great passage dealing with being reconciled to God. Right in our letter that we're dealing with. For the next few weeks, that's the kind of passages that we're going to be dealing with. Rather deep and rather enlightening to us. I can't wait. And of course, it's already started and we're in the chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning as we finish the last verse of chapter 2. Paul has shown us the triumph and the tragedy of the ministry that not only Paul had but every Christian has. In the last few verses of chapter 2, he got into that. Of course, he said in verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him the knowledge of Christ. Isn't that sweet aroma? But the people who don't know God, who don't want God, and who are rebellious against Him, and continue to be that way, it's a stench. They don't like the Gospel. They don't want to hear it. So anytime you stand up for righteousness' sake, and even be in the political realm, that's why they don't like the righteous things. Because really it stems from who? stems from God. Anything that's righteous is all of God. We're a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We're a fragrance to the one an aroma from death to death, but to another an aroma from life to life. What? Who is able? Who is able to do this. Who is adequate to bring this kind of deep things of the gospel of the glory of Christ to a lost world? We've been made that way. And that's where we get into verse 17 of chapter 2 where we left off last week. We have a supreme gospel 
ministry. It is supreme, folks. The most precious thing that we own while we live in these bodies is the gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of God, the supremacy of it. And it's going to be dealing now with new covenant. We're going to touch on that this morning a little bit, but next week we'll get into that more. This is about the new covenant. There are people who are really against the new covenant as Christians at that time, or they posed as Christians. They weren't. They were false, deceitful workers posing to be apostles over Paul. And that's why he's writing as he is doing that. They didn't understand the new covenant. And Paul was going to present that. He's going to clarify the message about the new covenant. A lot of people have a total misunderstanding of covenant and new covenant today. And and uh, we'll be getting into that in the next few weeks. Let's uh, Let's stand. Let's read the precious... Word of God that was given to Paul to write down. It's not his message. It's the very message of Christ. It's the message of the Gospel. And we get the privilege, 2,000 years later, of actually reading what was written, what was given by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? We can read this, and then we're going to talk about it. For we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need a sum letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts let's pray Father thank you for this precious piece of your word that you have given to us may it help us to understand what it is to be a sincere genuine Christian to be legitimate At the same time, knowing that we are letters of Christ so that all can see who Christ is. May we treat this to glorify you and to honor you. In your Son's name, amen. Amen. Colossians 2.17, it's kind of interesting that we're starting there because you think, oh, we're ready to go right into chapter 3, verse 1, and usually that's the way we do it. But there's a reason why we do it 17. Mainly because Nick asked me to do verse 17 again. <laughs> but you know, I, I did I did think about it and I said, well, you know what, that does make sense because there's really no chapter breaks in the Bible originally, the way that it was written. I'm glad we have them. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But here, it's kind of confusing if we see it, okay, he's starting a new section. Because he's not. Matter of fact, it makes even more sense when we put those together. And we're 17, it's coming off 16, and it makes sense. That's why expository teaching, folks, to me, is the only route to go. Because if you just pick and choose a verse wherever you want, I say you, I can make it say whatever I want. That's right. But now I'm accountable whenever I do this to the God who gave this to us and I have to get as close as to what He meant. What is He saying? Not what Dennis wants to put forth and his favorite subject and topics. I could just go all over the place and just hit here and there. And that's usually what most people do today in the evangelical church. And it's a, it's a shame. Because they do injustice to word and they can make it say what they want and make it really comfortable. Uh, this is saying we're not like many peddling the word of God. He's been saying that along. He's defending his apostleship because they're running down his apostleship. He was appointed by God alone. He wasn't appointed even by a church or people. It was by God who did it. And of course, we know the story of that in Acts chapter 9. There are peddlers. There are peddlers out there. There are people who are making a living off of the gospel and that's their only motive, to make money, 
to look cool. They're hucksters, they're corrupt, they're marketers. And that's the idea of kapaluo. It carries the idea of dilution, to dilute. You ever had something that was pure and you diluted it? And now it's not exactly the same? Well, they had people that were like wine sellers. They were dishonest to the people. And so when the wine was... Before it was sold, it was mixed. It was mixed with a lot of water. So therefore, you get more grape juice that turns into the wine that you can sell, and so it it means more profit. But it's dishonest. We don't know of marketers like that in our world today, though, do we? One could have been a merchandiser proclaiming their business at this time. They were merchandisers of the gospel. They would fasten on to people like leeches and take their money and drain them dry. All at the same time, kind of laughing at them because such fools they are. So they they like to take Christians who are well-meaning and take their money and not give them the real truth right here out of the gospel that they needed. And so therefore, they that's what they do. Paul says it's what's happening. They're running him down. And he says... I don't peddle the word. We don't peddle the word. The rest of the ones that were with him, like Timothy, for instance, and Titus, they don't peddle the gospel. We don't. But there are some that are doing it, and they are in your midst. In Jude 4, next book to the last book of Revelation, it's just before that, in Jude verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand I want you to check this out long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is really talking about false teachers false apostles too. He says, contend for the faith because many are going to distort it. Huh. That's happened all the way through the church age. To write today, that's what it's always done. They secretly slipped in. They got inside. The attack is not from the outside here. It's from the inside. That's what's worse. Yeah, the government can, can all do all sorts of things from the outside. We, we know about those stories down through history. Currently across the world. But the worst kind of enemy is that one has wormed himself inside. They proclaim themselves themselves. They have no reverence to God. They were godless men who changed the grace of God into licentiousness. For a matter of just being able to sin, it's okay. It's, that's what they do. They, if they weren't bound by the truth of the gospel, they're going to live a, a licentious type life and it'll show up. Somewhere along the line. So that's the idea here in verse 17. We're not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, and that key word there is ilokroneo. Kroneo is dealing with judge. It means to judge by bright light. You put a bright light on something as if we said last week, if you walk outside, you have a piece of pottery, for instance, you, you hold it up, and you look at it from the underneath and you see a little crack. Well, in here, it's a little darker. You may not catch that. But with bright light, you can. And that's the kind of life that Paul led. That's the kind of ministry that he did. You could hold up the brightest light and you could see what his motives were. He gave us the gospel, right? And you can count on it that it's true. So, it, it parallels integrity. It parallels honor. It's built on God's Word. So Paul says, hey, they're peddling the Word, but sincerity is what we want. We want something that a bright light can be held up to us and there not be found cracks. But it's as from God. It's not from me, Paul says. It comes from God. He's not getting glory. It's, it's from God. 
We speak in Christ. Everything that we do is in Christ. Anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's another all things again. All things. Now I'm going to be singing that in my head as I try. All things are in Christ. And that's what is it. He is the only source for our strength. There's no other source. That is it. It alone. Anything we do is to be led by Christ. Paul always qualifies what he's doing in Christ. How many times do you see in Christ? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. That's the only way that we can do anything. In the sight of God, there's the biggest bright light that there is. He is light, right? He is the light of the world. We want to do everything in the sight of God because it is. But we should know that when we keep that in our minds, it should help us to make right choices that would glorify God. Because we have to remember, in the sight of God, He's watching. Nobody else is. They won't see. It's okay. I'll hide this. May not ever know. Nobody might not ever know. But God always does. We're always in His presence, in the sight of God. Now, do you see how this will now take us into chapter 3? Talking about the peddlers and then Paul being the, a true biblical minister. So there's no shift here as we move into 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? As he said, I'm sincere. He says, do you think I'm trying to commend myself again? Or do he asked two questions? That's the first one. The second one is, or do we need as some? You notice, as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Do we need those letters of commendation? So I asked the two questions. And I like that reference to letters of commendation because we can identify with that. Is it wrong to have letters of commendation? No, it's not. We even use it today. They're very useful. Um, maybe not quite as necessary back in those days. They were necessary, and I'll explain why, but they are necessary today. It's good to have a letter of commendation if you're applying for a certain job and you have a certain person that knows you and knows the things that you can do. And that person is known by the people who are possibly going to hire you you get a letter of commendation from somebody that they highly respect, whoa, your stock just goes up, doesn't it? Because they know you. you know, they, they know that you're, you're true about that. And so those are good things. That, that, that's good. Um, in the early church at that time, you had the gospel just going out, new churches set up, Sometimes you'd have anybody and everybody coming in opposing or uh, opposing as preachers of the Word of God. And they could have been further from the truth. Some people they could probably discern. Others are really hard to discern, especially at first. But they would carry letters of commendation and possibly from the church at Jerusalem. And that would be the, the best place. If you could get some letter from there, maybe some from some pharisaical believer who's still holding on to legalism and need a commendation from uh, quite a Pharisee. And people look up to that those people that are from Jerusalem. And they go, oh, yes. And they welcome him right in. What it is, it, it's, a, it's really if, if you were, uh, let's say, in Ephesus and you're going to Corinth, you get a letter from Ephesus, you take to Corinth, the people see that and they go, oh, okay, yeah welcome you in they will have you to partake of the Lord's Supper you're one of them that's okay it was protection because anybody could have come in and said something and we know that that can happen today too uh, it's, it's about a Christian testimony well Paul will say are we beginning to commend ourselves again hey does it sound like I'm blowing my own horn that's kind of what Paul's saying here is that, is that what it sounds like to you um you know, it doesn't matter what Paul would say here. False apostles are going to take verse 17, not peddling the Word of God and such. No matter how it is said, and then 
verse 1 of chapter 3, and they're going to twist it, and they're going to make it come in their favor because they're good at twisting the Word. Man, they're excellent. They don't know the Word. They think they do. They might read it, but they make it mean what they want it to mean. And people like that. In the last days, people will listen because they have itching ears. So, um, Paul is legitimate. He doesn't need any... Uh, how this word is used, it's kind of interesting. Uh, dealing with commendation. Look in Second Corinthians 5, 12. It says, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. He says, yeah, yeah, we're not again commending ourselves. We're not getting this so, you know, we've got this letter or whatever, but we're not trying to pump ourselves up in that sense. Look in chapter 10, verse 12. Still in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Using the word commendation. We're, we're just using that word because we've seen it. And so what you do is you compare Scripture with Scripture and word with words. And it helps out whenever you uh, study God's Word. Uh, that, that's what I do. That's what you guys do, right? When you read the Word of God and you say, I don't get it. I don't understand this. So I'm going to quit reading. I don't understand it. No. <laughs> that's the last thing. And by the way... You know, you can always call me if you want, but there are a lot of sources. Like I say, I'm not the end of all things here, you know. There's a lot of sources. You ever want those? Let me know, and I'll be glad to give you a whole armful, you know, because I've got them, because that's where I go to, to help me out, to further understand. If, if you just left it up to my own intelligence, I could come in here and just shout out anything. That's why I rely upon early church fathers and then the reform. Um, uh, old dead guys, as, as Bob used to call them, all those reformers—they were the dead guys—and and 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 it shows. Okay, we're not all off the beaten track here. This has long been said. Sometimes I say some things that are really radical, and when you deal with predestination and election, and then double predestination, those are deep things. You say, Dennis, you're just favoring your own thing. No, we can go down a long list of guys who believe the same thing. We can go back to. C.H. Spurgeon, everybody respects him. Did he believe that? You betcha. Then you can go back to people like uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest philosophers, maybe the greatest thinker that this nation has ever known. This nation had in America here in the 1700s. And he says the same thing about the same thing. I can say, hey, I think we're on to something here. Other guys are saying this. So I'm going to borrow what they have to say. Look at other scriptures on my own study. That's why I quote from who I quote from and say, well, Dennis, that sounds like you're not very biblical. No, because they're basing it off Scripture too. If it's not dealing with Scripture, I don't care to quote it or say, you know, it's just it's absolutely useless. But if I can get something here that means something and that I know that is with the Word of God, then that's worth something to me. That's what we do when we study. Look up the language. Sometimes you have to look up the words. Get a Vines or a Strong's, you know, and check those out. I'm just challenging you. The Word of God is very understandable with the Holy Spirit but it means you have to dig and you have to dig the rest of your life. And that's good because when you have dug and you've done something and out comes a precious nugget, it's worth it and you say, this is great. You know, it's just like when you plant something, a tree, and you don't see anything for a while and all of a sudden it starts coming up. You say, wow, that is really cool, right? You know, God gave that growth. But what's going on there? Well, when you do something, you work for it, and then you, you, something actually happens, you get rewarded and you say, it's all worth it. So that's another reason why God gives us work to do. It's a, it's a gift. That always helps when you go to work Monday morning. <laughs> I have to tell myself that. I'm serious. It's worth it all. Because it's... You say, well, it's about money. Well, yeah, you, you have to live. You have to have food, a place to live. But it's really about, he says, do really do all things for the glory of God, right? And even the most mundane things, we are doing it for His glory. Now, I got to figure out where I, how I got there, where I, where I did. 
What did we do? Did we do 10, 12? That's where we were at. The rabbit trail happened. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. There you go. There's the guy who, guys who are condemning themselves, the false teachers. By themselves. They commend themselves by their own selves, and they are without understanding. They don't have understanding. They're not true. They commend themselves, though. 10.18, right at the end of the chapter. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. And there is where the Word really comes in. It's Him doing it. You say, well, Dennis, then are we to be against letters of commendation? No. <laughs> That's the beauty of this. You can say, well, what, what is Paul saying then? Well, he's saying he's legitimate. He doesn't need a letter from the Corinthians. And they, would, they would send those letters to those churches. And, of course, Paul doesn't have those. These intruders came into the church to impress people with these impressive documents, with the impressive names on them, Dr. So-and-so, and I can really get on that one. People love to be told about their titles. Doctor has four doctorates. So, what, how, how, do, how much does he know God? Is it wrong to have a doctorate? No. Go for it if you have that opportunity because it can, you know, nothing against a good Christian education. I highly promote good seminaries. There aren't very many today. You can count them on one hand. I can tell you that for sure. And probably not even five. But I'm telling you, this is what this is about. They, he's saying it's not titles, it's not names I get from human people and what they have done, but it's what has happened here. What has happened with you people? That's, that's where he's getting to. So we, uh, we think about Paul and what he's done. You turn back to Acts chapter 18. He went into Corinth and he started the church in Corinth. Matter of fact, he didn't go on other people's works and ministries. He didn't build on theirs. He built on his own. And in Acts 18, verse 11, and this is where he's ministering at Corinth. And of course, if you were to back up and look at it, verse 1, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And so that's, that's the whole thing, how God opened the door there and such. Verse 11, And he settled there, this is Paul, a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. A year and a half. And I can say that he taught the counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. All the doctrines that were important. May have not have gotten through all of the Old Testament. That's basically what they had. And then some of the letters that he'd already had, which at this time he really didn't have much anything because Corinth was one of the first that he wrote. But anyway, he didn't need a letter. He's been teaching them. They knew him. He had written letters to them. Paul didn't have any. Well, they'd come into town, they're false apostles with their with their saddlebags, you know, their satchels, and then have their letters of reference. Oh, hang on just a moment. And they dig down in there, their backpack, dig that out, and hand that to them, you know, and say, see, the, the, the pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> he says, do, do I need, as some do, <laughs> accommodations? Uh, accommodation of other churches? Do, do I need to give that to you? This is ridiculous. Paul certainly didn't need a letter for those people. He'd been there a year and a half. He started the church there. He kept preaching. Do we need letters of commendation? What's the good part about letters of commendation? We can see them all over Scripture. Nehemiah. We are almost at the end of Nehemiah in our Tuesday night studies. And we were touching on this aspect in chapter 2 verse 7 Nehemiah was 
cupbearer for the king. That means he was a right-hand man of the president. I want to say it that way. I mean, he was on the inside as a Jew to a pagan ruling world at the time. Pagan empire. But yet, God put him in quite the position. God does that. He's done it to people like Daniel, Joseph. Even whenever there can be the worst pagans that come in and run a government, God can still put His people where He wants them and He will do it. He so fits. (laughs) Chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah asked the king if he could go to Jerusalem and he was really scared about it, but yet he prayed a prayer when the opportunity came underneath his uh, breath. <laughs> you know, prayed that prayer real quick as he was getting ready. The opportunity sprang and boom. You know, prayed the prayer and then asked the question to the king. The king says, yeah, you can go. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of God was on me. Otherwise, king say, how dare you ask me this? Here you've been my man that's taken care of me and done all the things that needed to be done. Get out of here. Away with him. Cut his head off. Could have happened just that quick. But instead, God was in on this. Nehemiah had been thinking about this and even better yet, praying for months before he even asked. And when the time was right, he did. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Uh, He thought about, oh, to get past there, I'm going to have to have some people with me. I'm going to have to have passports. There you go. King gives them to me. Otherwise, he's not going to get through there. See how he thought about it? He just didn't jump on things without thinking about it. And then he asked. And you see how God supplied. It was God's timing. In Acts chapter 9, verse verse 2, Saul persecuting the church before he's Paul and a Christian he said and he asked for letters from the high priest to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way church both men and women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem he's going to drag them in but he needs the letters to do that letters of commendation showing who he was yeah, you bet. You better have something, otherwise, how do they know who he is, what he's doing? It's some really good ID, and then some backup with that with some others. Chapter 18, verse 27 of Acts. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They wrote to the disciples. They sent this ahead of him. They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So that they would know who he is and, and what this is about. Um, anyway, be prepared for him, right? Uh, chapter 22, verse 5. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So there was Saul again as he's telling his story. He's saying he had... Those letters to be taken to them, verifying who he is. Romans sixteen one. Paul does this later as a an apostle. He makes a commendation for somebody. Sixteen one. 
Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the, the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Uh, on the first day of every week, each of you put aside and save as you may prosper, so that no collection will be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, as if it is fitting for me to go also. They'll go with me. Dealing with the collections for the saints. There were letters. So that, that's done in a good way, isn't it? Romans 16.1 Paul brings forth a commensatory letter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. I commend to you, as he wrote the letter to the Romans, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Chentria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. You receive her. So there are letters that are a good thing. Paul has been in Corinth, and they're saying, where's your letter? (laughs) And he's saying, I don't need it. The intruders use those kind of things. I've been here. You know me. You know what I've done. So, we've seen the first two parts in the first verse and verse 17 of chapter 1. Now we go to the best part. Not that that wasn't a good part. But it's dealing with the letters of Christ. Go back to uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Here's what he says. You are our letter. Now I have a letter, but you are the letters. The Corinthians, the Corinthians, remember the Corinthians? They're the letters. If you want to know how authentic my ministry is, Paul is saying, just look around. Start looking around to the people that you go to church with. Look at the response that they have. How do they think? What do they think? Well, they think according to what God has given them, His Word. They're being conformed to that. There's a lot of things that they're still working on. <laughs> That's why he wrote First Corinthians, right? These are the people that responded to the, the gospel message. That's who he's talking about. They're a letter. He says, I, I stand behind them. I stand behind me. I preach the gospel. I came into Corinth not knowing anything but the crucified Christ. The cross. That's what I preached. Gave you guys all the depth of the Word of God. You came to faith. You became born again. You are my letter. I don't need anything else. I don't need something written by other people. You've already been written by the Holy Spirit as a letter justifying the very ministry that I have preached. That's what Paul's saying. Now, he's not saying that it's ultimately from him. The letter really is from Christ. And what is Paul? He's just an instrument. He's the pen. He's the tool. He's the one that God uses. And we know that He is authentic because He is from the Lord. Genuine. His ministry was genuine. How do we know we have a genuine ministry? Well, when we give the Word of God to people, we edify them. Sometimes they need to be encouraged. We have to give that out. We're talking about the believers to believers. They need the Word, Right? And you can see how an encouragement, just an encouraging word, it's amazing how it uplifts people. I'm all about encouragement. We have too much discouragement. We run people down. We run them down in our own minds. Sometimes we do it right to other people, about other people. Sometimes we just do it face to face. Care less. Paul never did that. Jesus never did that. That's not love. 
there's a tremendous encouragement that comes out of the ministry of the Word of God. If you use the Word of God, sometimes it can correct people and it, at times may seem very rough, but it's meant for love because God is doing a work on us. Now, at verse 2, I think it's interesting. You are our letter. You're our proof that what we have done with this church is what we see as the commendation, as the letter. It's written in our hearts. The Corinthians' outward authentication to all men is seen in the way that they responded to the Word of God and then lived it. And you know what? I remember when Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 1. had an encouraging word to them. He says he couldn't wait to get to Rome. Look in verse 8. He wrote letters. <laughs> he didn't need letters from other churches. He wrote them though. And he says in verse 8, he thought a lot about the church in Rome. He couldn't wait to get there and to meet the people. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, right? For you all. Why? Because your faith, I love this, is being proclaimed, being trumpeted out throughout the whole world. It's being heard about the church in where? Rome. You can say, yeah, Rome, that's the big city. Think about where Rome was at. It was the capital of the world at that time, ran by pagans who had pagan beliefs who would very soon be persecuting the church in tremendous ways. Killing them. Doing just demonic things to the church. And he says, your faith is being proclaimed everywhere. People are hearing about it. I heard about it. I can't wait to get there. How do you feel when you meet a new Christian? I can't wait to talk to them and to hear their story because their story is God's story that's pumped right through them. I want to know more about them. I want to intimately know God. And as I intimately know God, I intimately want to know His people. So I ask questions. I can't wait to find out other things. What, you know, and then sometimes it may not necessarily be directly where God's name is in it. They can say, okay, there's where God was working at that time. You know, maybe they weren't even Christians at the time. You say, ah, but the Lord used that at that time. They didn't know it. You know, but isn't that interesting? When you get to know other Christians, make an effort to know other people in this church. There's enough right here to last the rest of the year. And then we might get, we need maybe some more people in and learn. Now, that, that is so key. Paul had this kind of heart. And they were on his heart. And I'm sure he knew those people individually. I'm sure he did. In a year and a half, I can guarantee you, he talked with every one of them. Go up to talk to somebody. Well, they don't talk to me. They're really un, unfriendly church. Well, you're the one to go to them and kind of help be them, make them friendly. Does that make sense? Paul, really here, you know what? You know what he's doing? He's being real open, and he's telling them they are letters that are open. They're not in envelopes to be sealed. Some people are always wondering, where's such and such? It can be week after week. And the reason they're asking is because they're really concerned. And I'm, I'm thankful that they are, that they take notice that somebody's not here. What, what's going on? There might be something legitimate. They might be sick. They might be out of town. might be other things. But people should be accountable to other people. I think if we're not going to be there, we need to tell somebody at least one or two people why they're not going to be there rather than just leave it a mystery and be a mystical type person. I don't think that's right at all. I don't think that that's being a, uh, an accountable to your church. What do you guys think about that? Maybe I'm just thinking, is that my own thinking? I don't think so. I think as I look at this scripture right here, it says we're to be open letters. Peel off the envelope. It's, it's out there. It's for all to see. 
So, you are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Known and read by all men. Written in the heart. Paul is saying that uh, we won't... There won't be any letter on him. Not in his saddlebags, but it's in his heart. You ever received a, a love letter? You know people that receive love letters and they read them? <laughs> and they save them. They don't throw it in the trash. They save them and they say, I can't wait to lunch. I get a break. I'm going to read this again. Uh, and then at coffee time, I'm going to read this letter. Can't wait. At supper time, after supper, I'm going to read this letter again. And just before I go to bed, I can't wait to read this letter again. They might even put it in their pocket. It's close to their heart. Uh, that's a letter on your heart, right? Well, Paul is saying the people were even closer. They were in his heart. That's how close he was to them. These are the people that he loved so much. If you remember about the Corinthians, they argued about who was the best preacher. And when you start comparing that in the body of Christ, now there are false teachers and I think we need to tell people who they are and if they're wrong, that needs to be known. But if you've got good biblical people, don't compare them with another preacher, another writer. You know, we do that at so many things in the, the earthly realm and who's the best... Okay, I'm a musician. Who's this best guitar player and who's the best singer and such? And We shouldn't even play that game. You know, because there are other things and and way that God has gifted different ways. It's not it might be at the time, but what we're saying is that's what they were arguing about. Paul, I'm I'm of Paul, and what did the others say? I'm of Apollos, I'm of such and such, whoever. Paul baptized me, you know, and that's the wrong attitude. Well, that was one of the first things that he addressed. Many they struggled with idolatry, so he addressed that. They struggled with the spiritual gifts, had total misunderstanding of what that was, and they wrote chapter twelve and thirteen and fourteen, three long chapters on what real spiritual gifts are, how they abused the spiritual gifts. Well, you have that going on today. They were taking people to court. Can you imagine Christians taking Christians to court? Yeah, that happens too, doesn't it? Uh, he was addressing all this. He even wrote a severe letter to them. The immorality or the, the lack of disciplining immorality in the church. So all of those things, and Paul still loved them. You would have thought he said, okay, that's it. <laughs> They're done. I don't care about Corinth. I'm not even going to write them a second letter. The intimacy that Paul has, he's open and he wants the people to realize that they are to be open. He says, it's not in my pocket, it's not in my luggage, it's not in my saddlebag, it's in my heart. He says, it's precious, it's close, it's beloved. This letter is, I'm concerned about you, Paul says. I'm aware of you. I hold you in my heart. You're there all the time. Wow. He was serious. And look at all the churches that he planted. He knew those individuals. He knew that church. That's where the letter is. What a tremendous affirmation of affection that he had for them. As he says, you are our letter. You are our proof. And you're written in our hearts. Amazing. And then he says, known and read by all men. And we looked at the Romans passage earlier, Romans 1.8. Paul's speaking about an open letter for anyone to see. Open up, folks. It's a cost when you're a Christian, but we can't be lone rangers. What are you doing hiding out by yourself? Body of Christ is exactly that. We are an open letter for to read any time, day and night. We're open for anybody to read us. Every time that you drive your car, be open so that people can see you in the Christian way. Not, not in the way that you wouldn't want to be seen. Every time you go to the bank, be an open letter. Every time you go to the convenience store to get gas, goodies, whatever, be an open letter because that's what you are so that people can see you. 
Everything. The grocery store. Everything that you do in life. At work. Among your people that you work with. Everything we do in our lives. In the community of Jefferson City, you are to be an open letter. And that means in St. Martin's. It means in Columbia. It means in Westphalia. It means in Holt Summit. Have I left out any? Tipton. California. (laughs) We keep going, right? Anywhere you're at, you are to be an open letter. Is that pretty convicting? That's what we're letters. The Corinthians are letters. We're letters. We're to be open. Watch your life. Because what you represent out there, they know you go to church, then you're representing that church. And you know what? If your open letter is not consistent with what the church teaches and believes and lives, they're going to think whatever you do is the way the church is. Open letters. Wow. People may not read the Bible, never ever want to read the Bible, never have. I'll tell you what, they are reading your life. They read your lives. Alistair Begg says, you are writing the Gospel. A chapter every day of your life. People read what you write as they see your actions and reactions And they hear the words that come out of your mouth. What you write down. What you put on the computer that goes out. People are reading you. Unbelievers are reading you. And what you say is what they're going to think of what church is. Now, is that rather humbling? I don't want anything bad to come out of my mouth to represent Grace Community Church. Harry Ironside used to say like it, it takes the whole church to make his epistle, to make his letter. But each one of us is a little verse in that epistle. Each one of us is a verse. If it's out of step with the rest of that chapter or that book, what are you going to think of that? You say, man, that's not God's Word. He'll say So what kind of message are we giving as we give testimony to the faith in Jesus Christ? What is our letter saying? What are we saying? He says it's manifest. Manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Made conspicuous. You're an open letter. You're made entirely visible. You should be that way. Don't lock it up. Church has responded to the Gospel. The Gospel came. Men were born again. Men and women, Paul was an inward authentication of the truthfulness of his ministry. And he was an out, and they were an outward authentication to all men of the power of the gospel of what it does through the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter of Christ, he says in the next phrase. Yeah, this is just packed, isn't it? With phrase by phrase, word by word, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. There's our title for the day. Letter of Christ. You are a letter of Christ if you're a believer. The, Paul, the false apostles didn't have a letter signed by Jesus Christ, did they? Changed lives are proof that Christ had transformed them. The letter of Christ. You are the way you are so that people can read you. The letter is Jesus Christ. So my letter is this. It's you. And it's made everywhere manifest. It's Christ alone who saves. It's Christ alone who sanctifies. And it's only by His Word through a faithful preacher such as I am, says Paul. And that's what happened to the Corinthians. And then he says, You're a letter of Christ cared for by us. The word there for cared for really uh, probably be better to put ministered, served, uh, delivered. The word is diakoneo, which we get our word deacon. means servant. means minister. Christ wrote the letter. Holy Spirit, God, the Trinity, gives him this. Paul puts it down. And then he delivers it. Gets it delivered to them. 
Can you imagine anybody demanding out of the Apostle Paul after the tremendous work of God that he did there asking for a letter, how ridiculous it was, and he yet loved that person? <laughs> Written not with ink, but the Spirit. It's We're not talking about the literal piece of parchment and the ink that's put on it. I think back a few weeks ago, Bob, uh, we were in uh, the Bible study in Nehemiah, and you brought up this uh, dealing with uh, the Spirit. The, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, of course, that's coming up, and he's already introducing it. And I think Janice brought that text out where that was at, right here in the Second Corinthians chapter 3. And this is... It's not the letter of the law. It's what is here. What's been put here. Written not with this ink. Ink sits on a page and eventually fades, doesn't it? Fades over time. But he says, I, th- there's this ink here. It's silent. You know, on the, on the page, it's, it's a dead piece of parchment with ink on it. But he says, my letter is alive. The letter of Christ here is alive. By the Spirit of the living God. My letter was written not with ink, but with a divine, supernatural power by the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful letter. Now, we did some convicting earlier, and now we look at this and we see that we have been empowered divinely, supernaturally, with the Holy Spirit. And it proves that the ministry here at Grace Community Church is authentic because lives have been changed and are changing and will continue to change because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Not tablets of stone. It's not written with ink, but it's with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone. And what's that take you back to? Moses. The Ten Commandments. The tablets. It's the external laws with the rituals, works, rituals, ceremonies. No one can keep the whole law. The law is good and it has its purpose. It's to condemn us, to show us our sin that we cannot follow even one commandment. And if you did, there's always going to be one that you break. And you're still a lawbreaker. And what do we do with that? It's Christ alone who fulfilled the law. He's the only one that's ever done it. But in Christ, we now can fulfill the moral law. We're not talking about the celebratory, uh, ceremonial, ritual type law, but the law is found in the New Testament and summed up in two commands, which takes in all the commands, love God, love your neighbor. We don't observe the Sabbath day as on a Saturday. But we observe the moral law. We've entered into the rest of Christ. And when, when Paul takes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the nine virtues that make it up there, he says, against such there is no law. If you have love, you have joy, you have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you have that in your life, well, if you're a Christian, you do. It's there. It's called fruit. It should be bearing. You should be bearing fruit. At the same time, it's there. And against such things, there is no law. The law is fulfilled, but we're not antinomians. Antinomian says you're against the law. No, the law is good. It convicts me of my sin. It's what drove me to Christ. Drove me to Christ. In Exodus 31.18, and lack of time here, chapter 32, 15 and 16, it's dealing with the Ten Commandments there. It's it's dealing with what he just said, tablets of stone. Uh, And he says human hearts. It's written on human hearts. I'll probably go into this part that introduces the New Covenant next week on uh, on this verse and move on because it doesn't stop at verse 3. Most preachers take 1 through 6. People that write commentaries put that section together, 1 through 6. I knew we wouldn't have enough time today. So we stopped at verse 3. 
and, and we'll probably pick it up there, but it's written on human hearts. The Decalogue was written by God. It was divine, but it couldn't be compared to the writing of the divine one on the hearts because he takes that law, puts it on the hearts, and now we can do something. It's not external, it's internal. We desire to follow the things of God because he lives in us. The very heart of God lives in us. Uh, John MacArthur says, it's the same law. God hasn't changed His law. It's the same law. He just wrote it on the heart. He wrote that law on our heart. We can now keep the law because of the Spirit of the living God who lives in us. Now you can fulfill the law. And Romans 8.4 says that. So the law is good. We don't condemn it. It condemns us. But we thank the Lord for the law that He's put in our hearts because we desire to honor God. 8.4 So so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit. We fulfill the law. Who's competent to carry the censer the censer with the incense to make the knowledge of Christ known as something that is an aroma that is fragrant to all those who want to hear the gospel and who is the one who is competent that also to preach that as there will be people that will deny it. What happens with us? The virtue of our lives change. The impact of our own ministry changes as God works in us. We should be confronted here today, as I close this last sentence, with the challenge of our testimonies, our own life. We're to be clear as we are letters. We are to be legible as letters. We are to be transparent as letters for all to see. Let everybody read you and let it be. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for making us letters, letters of Christ. Letters to be read by a lost, evil, wicked world. And for the most part, it's going right to hell. But we know, Lord, You use us as ministers to be a fragrant aroma of the knowledge of Christ to be made known. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of instrument. In Jesus' name, Amen.